Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we study your word and, and just look at the end times from this uh, section through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Matthew 24, we're going to see Jesus talking about the end times here. And it's, uh, remember, he's just come out of the diatribe against the scribes and the Pharisees and uh, leaving, the, leaving the temple. And in verse 1 of uh, chapter 24, it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came with him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Then they sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately and saying, And tell us when these things shall be, and what shall be the signs of your coming and of the end of the world. So I want to just stop there for a moment because there's something kind of interesting in that section. Jesus leaves the temple, and the temple, if you want to keep, keep in mind, is the pride and joy of Israel. All right. Now, they're a little sad because it's not as great as Solomon's temple, but it is still the building that they have all pride in. And because the temple's there, the God is present, they are just as arrogant as everybody before the fall of the first temple, that Jerusalem will never fall, the temple will not fall. Herod has built this beautiful temple, and Jesus tells his disciples that not one stone will be left standing in the temple. Of all the buildings, not just the temple, but he's looking around Jerusalem, and we know that in 70 AD, Titus came into Jerusalem because he was tired of their rebellious natures <laughs> and destroyed Jerusalem. He took down the, the wall completely. He took down the foundation of Jerusalem. He took down the temple of Jerusalem. The original plan was they were going to leave the temple of Jerusalem because of all the gold inlay on it. But there was a fire that was started on the temple, and it started melting the, the gold in, into the rocks <laughs> and the stones, so they decided to tear down every single stone in the temple so that there's no foundation, no anything left of the temple without, as Jesus said, not one stone left standing. They did the same thing with the wall, and the only part of the wall that still exists is the Wailing Wall of Jerusalem. And Josephus said that they so destroyed Jerusalem that it looked as if nobody had ever lived there. You know, when Jesus said no stone was going to be left and all these things that they were looking at, he meant no stone was going to be left together and that it was going to be totally devastated. Now, it was rebuilt over time, but the destruction of it was complete. This is before Jesus assigned that. After Jesus' time, 70 AD. He said it was going to happen. But not only he, Micah 3.12 said that Jerusalem would become like a plowed, plowed field, uh, in First Kings 9-7, it says that Jerusalem will be totally wasted. I mean, it's been foretold in several places. Jesus just said, the time's coming. Titus was Roman. Titus was the Roman emperor, or Caesar, Caesar Titus. And so he tears down Jerusalem in 70 AD. And this is a big event for the, for the Jewish people. And they've rebuilt the city since then, as we all know. It's back in, it never was left totally empty. Because even when Babylon came, 
they destroyed the temple, but they didn't, and the, and the walls, but they didn't destroy the city. They left the city standing. And so the, after 70 AD, the Jews have to rebuild the city. And it's in, back up in its uh, glory. And so as he sits down on Mount Olives, which is a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, the disciples asked him, tell us when these things shall be. When is this going to happen? And what shall be the signs of your coming? And then I love this little statement on the end, and of the end of the world. Now, I'm not sure if they meant the fall of Jerusalem was going to be the end of the world, or if they were literally thinking the end of all time. I think in their case, with the arrogance of the, of those, of the people, they were thinking, well, if Jerusalem and the temple is going to be destroyed, that's the end of the world for us. The end of the age. It says cosmos in the in the Greek, so age is not necessarily the right. Um, so they're they're literally in this place of you know things are going to happen. All right, so let's look at Jesus' answer. And Jesus answered and said to them, "Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars." See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity sh shall abound, and love, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. I'm going to stop there for a moment, because there's a lot there. <laughs> Jesus said to them, take heed that no man deceive, or pull you aside, or cause you to stumble. Now, this is something that has happened quite frequently over the years, the deception that has been going on. And even in our day, there's a huge amount of deception in all avenues, not just Christianity, but all avenues of deception. We have people rising up in the name of Christ deceiving people, and we have whole churches and denominations that are no longer believing the Bible. We've got all these groups coming out against us, and we have a whole world that's out to deceive. You know, we have you know, this whole idea of there's no right or wrong, there's no absolute truth, there's no absolutes at all, which is totally deceiving because you can't live in a world without absolutes. You know, and it's pretty amazing because you talk to people and they go, well, I don't believe that. Well, you know, tell them about Jesus. Well, I don't believe that. Well, just saying you don't believe in something does not make it untrue. And yet in our world... People do it all the time. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. It can be between anybody. Uh, I saw a plaque just the other day. A family is a unit that is made by love. And I'm going, okay, that kind of understand that. It might be true, but it might not be true, depending on how you define this unit that you're talking about. And our world is redefining family. A family is no longer a mother and a father and, and children a husband and wife and mother, father, and their children. It can be any group of people that like each other for some strange reason. You know, and it, we hear this, well, well, I don't get along with my family, so this is my family over here. You know, I've chosen these people to be my family. 
And I understand what they're saying, but that does not make them a family. It makes them a close-dwelling <laughs> close people, but not necessarily a family. And we're redefining all of our terms as we go along. And Jesus says, don't let people deceive. And we're seeing this over and over. And how many churches can you go into and not be trained in the Bible? It's pretty amazing. It really is pretty amazing how many churches don't teach the Bible, don't raise people up in the Bible, don't call sin a sin, especially many of you big churches, because if they say something's a sin, then people might leave. And so they won't say anything's a sin. You know, they might pretend to teach the Bible, but they won't say that anything's a sin. They won't say anything's wrong and everything's right. And that's a dangerous place to be. We want to know what God says about things. If God calls it a sin, it's a sin. And we want to know that he calls it a sin. And we've got to be careful of this deception that's going on. And Jesus said, many, you know, take heed. He says in verse 5, many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Now, this is something that I got a curiosity. I looked this up uh, online, and I, and I found a list of 35 people since the 1800s who've said they're, they're Christ. I didn't realize it was quite that large just since 1800. And that doesn't even count the Middle Ages and, and the first century when, when this was happening for the Messiah and everything. When we think about the Antichrist, there are going to be many of them because Satan doesn't know when Jesus is coming back either. So he's always got to have Antichrist in the wing to take over when the time comes. And Hitler was an Antichrist. Uh, many other people have been an Antichrist without being the Antichrist. And so there's always got to be those people in the wings that are going to be because the Antichrist is a human that Satan indwells to, to become totally evil. There will be many that are representative of Antichrist that are bent toward his will. And uh, so we see, that, we see that evil, and we're seeing more and more of that evil in our day. So we want to be looking at this, and he says, many will say that I am Christ to try to deceive you. And in the end days, the Antichrist will be claiming to be God himself as well. And we're going to see this whole thing. And it goes, and you shall hear, hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And it's kind of interesting. There are, depending on how you define war, right now I looked at a site that said there's 40 active armed wars in this world right now. Another site says there's, there's only 11 countries that aren't, at, aren't uh, are at peace at this point in, their, in, in, in uh, history. And it's kind of amazing in a, in a world that says we're at peace to think about all the activities going on. Most of, most of Africa is literally at war. America claims to be at war. We're at war with terrorists, you know, but that's not really a war. Uh, but we have all kinds of conflicts that we're involved with, you know, in the Middle East and everything. The Middle East is a, a whole hodgepodge of wars going on and conflicts going on. We've got all kinds of civil wars in Africa and quite a few in, uh, even in South America. Uh, much of Asia is, you know, having conflicts. You know, and we think about this, Ru wars and rumors of wars. And it says, and yet... This must come to pass, and the end is not yet. But you know, we're hearing it all the time, wars. 
And I don't know if there's more wars going on now than there have ever been in the past or more bad activities than ever going on in the past, but with our news the way it is, we hear a lot about them. And I've always wondered, you know, are we just hearing more about all the trouble or has the trouble always been going on? And I think it's more that the trouble's always been going on. We just, we have a capacity now to hear and be flooded by it all. Uh, and that's scary. You know, there's hardly any new good news that you hear about anything anymore. Uh, newspapers hardly ever print any good news stories. You rarely hear a good news story on the on the news unless it ha has something to do with animals. You know, the rescue of animals seems to be the big good news stories that they always broadcast. And but Jesus said, "This is just the beginning," which kind of makes you wonder. You know, how much worse does it have to get? How much worse? And Jesus' whole picture here is a very gloomy picture of the, of the world. And he says, and he keeps saying it's only the beginning. Yeah, over and over again, he says it's only the beginning of what's coming. And we uh, will see in this chapter, he says that when it comes to be like the days of Noah. Now, how bad was Noah's day? Well, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We're not too far from that. But... Are we, we still have a lot of restraint going on right now, even though there's not as much as it used to be. You know, in our country, things are getting bad. But in many parts of the world, things are really bad. You know, our country is still a pretty good place to be overall, even though it is much deteriorated from what it has been over the last century. And yet we're seeing this beginning of trials and beginning of troubles. And it says, for nation shall rise up against nation, kingdom against nation, kingdom, and there shall be famine and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. So he says nation will rise up against nation, and we're seeing a lot of that lately. We're seeing kingdom against kingdom. We're seeing the, all these civil wars going on that we were talking about. We see famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. And it's pretty amazing. I, in the past, I have looked up famines, and there are famines all over this world that are people are dying of hunger. In spite of all the food that is being produced in many places, there are still other places that are starving. And then we have governments that try to help out these places that are in famine, and their, gov and their governments usually you know, strip out about a third to half of the products coming in and very little of it ever gets to the people that are hungry. So it's almost a waste of time to help these people because of how little help actually gets to them. And they're all over the place. If you look up famine, you know, look up famines in the world and you're gonna find a whole long list of famines going on. Right now, in this year, there'll be famines all over the world. And he says, pestilences. You know, we think about this pestilence. Pestilence is disease. And you know, just listening this morning on the news, they were talking about how the flu is, is going viral right now in Arizona and the rest of the, in the country. And it says that the, the flu shot has been basically worthless because they picked the wrong, vi <laughs> wrong, wrong variants of it. <laughs> it's been like that most years. <laughs> they said in, in the, in the news said that in the last 13 years, there's only been one time that they've, they've been able to get 50% correct on the on the flu. So, but we look at this and we see how many diseases there are 
out there right now. And the flu is pretty minor compared to pestilence, but we look at this and how many diseases do we have that we don't even have antibiotics that work against them anymore? Because they have got, they've mutated so much that the antibiotics don't work and if you use the extreme, they, the extreme antibiotics can do almost as much damage to your body, healthy, healthy parts of your body as it does to the virus, uh, the, the, anti the bacteria that it's trying to destroy. So they don't like to use it very long. <laughs> so we're looking at this whole thing where we as humans are creating diseases that almost can't be dealt with because we've overused our antibiotics, our antiviral things. Our, you know, we have the opiate addictions right now where people have so much pain that they're overtaking their painkillers and getting high and, or overusing them so they don't do any good anymore. So we're, we're creating a lot of this our own self and there's diseases that are running rampant throughout the world. And, you know, and then earthquakes in diverse places. You know, this is something I've been noticing a lot over the last probably five to ten years even. You know, even in America, there have been earthquakes in places that never have earthquakes. And around the world, there's earthquakes in places that don't ever have earthquakes. And it was all predicted. And it was one thing to be in the, the ring of fire around the Pacific and have earthquakes all the time. You know, the, the west coast of America, Alaska, most of Asia, all those islands, they always had earthquakes. There's no big deal. But when you start having earthquakes, you know, in Arizona, Tennessee, in Virginia, uh, you know, middle, middle of Europe, in the middle of Europe, all these places that are having earthquakes that just don't get earthquakes. And yet Jesus says, all of this is just a beginning. All of this is the beginning of sorrows. And this word for sorrows is the idea of birth pangs. It's just the beginning. It's the first starting of that. If you've ever been around a pregnant woman or been pregnant, you know, how many times do they have false labor before anything even happens? And then all of a sudden they go into full labor and sometimes it lasts very quickly, sometimes it can last a couple of days. But it, those labor pains, those first labor pains are just the beginning. And Jesus says, all these things that you're hearing, all the rumors of war, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, all these countries, the civil wars, are just the beginning. And we think when he says beginning, how long could that be? You know, the very original per, uh, forecast of Jesus' coming was 4,000 years before he came. Now, how long is, is just the beginnings? Century, two centuries? A millennia? I don't know. None of us really know. But he says it's only the beginning. And it's going to get worse. Because just as in labor pains, as he's saying, they only get worse until the child is delivered. And keep getting worse. And Jesus is saying, what you're seeing is just the beginning. It's only going to get worse. And that's kind of a scary thought, because if we're only at the beginnings of what's going on, as we look around as Christians and see all that's going on, all the trials, the, the hardships, the, the turning upside down of right from wrong, how bad is it going to get? And I've asked myself many questions. How bad was it the days of Noah when people were doing whatever they wanted to do? 
And we're getting, we're getting closer to that, but how much worse does it have to get? Because he says it's only the beginning. Now he's talking, it seems like we're not going to escape some of that. We're not going to see the tribulation, but we're going to see the pains up, coming up to it. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because of how far things have gotten. You've got Israel has been pretty famous, over, even in biblical times, for a lot of its homosexuality going on. He's talking about the guy that offered up his two daughters. How, how depraved was I've always thought that Lot was pretty depraved to be willing to give up his daughters to do that. Well, he was trying to save the men, but I mean, who would give up their daughters to save, save two other people? I mean, it just, that's a depravity in and of itself. In Judges, there's a story of, the, of a Levite that's going through a town and they come after his, you know, they come after him and the guy gives up his daughter and the Levite's uh, concubine, they brutalize those two women and basically kill them. And, and that's when the Benjamites were almost destroyed as a, as a tribe. So things like this happen. And usually these whole things with, with the sodomy in the scriptures and in other times doesn't just stop at sodomy. It becomes every other flavor of aberrant sexual activity. And even happening in our day. Most people are considering themselves to be more bisexual than, than homo or, or heterosexual. And so they're willing to say, well, just whoever. And it goes then to with not just whoever, but whatever. And, you know, we've already heard the, you know, the statements. And when, when they first, when the rule came down from the Supreme Court that they considered that laws against homosexuality was unconstitutional, immediately people started making their filings for, well, if that's not a problem, then why can't I have two wives or marry, my, marry some kid or marry my dog? You know, all these flood of things started hitting the courts. And it was exactly what was predicted by pastors, basically, that if you stop letting God have the say on what is marriage, then anything goes. Because where do you draw the line? Once you have no line there, where's the line? You can't say that anything's right or wrong, and that is where each of these different activities have happened. The Bible speaks very clearly of all the sexual perversions out there and says don't do them. And God says even for heterosexuals, the only way for heterosexuals to have sex is in the bounds of marriage. And that's what God said. He's bounded that activity, and Satan is trying hard to make anything and everything go and we're seeing that in our world our major world governments pushing for abortion and pushing for homosexual rights and and all of this stuff in all the world but you know we want to be very careful because things are going to get bad and you know as, even as we look at how bad things are in our day we're looking at them from judeo-christian viewpoint and when christianity first started it was a very unusual way to look at things when Rome was in power and everything before that, you know, there was no compassion for people. A Roman soldier who was severely injured in battle, if he wasn't able to walk with, the, with his unit, was left behind. If he managed to live, great. If he died, no big deal in their mind. There were doctors, but you know, their, their doctors weren't all that great. Orphanages, you had kids who, you know, parents didn't want them, they threw them out on the street. And they were trying to do the best they can at four or five years old, trying to survive on the streets. And orphanages were developed by Christians. Hospitals were developed.
by Christians. Caring for the, the sick was developed by Christians. And in many parts of this world where Christianity doesn't reign, we still see that lifestyle going on. We see kids in the street that have been abandoned by their parents because the parents didn't want them. We see uh, people that are not wealthy enough to be able to provide for a hospital saying, okay, you're going to die. You're just too sick, you're going to die with no, with no care, no compassion. You know, because Christianity has never had full sway in those places and they have all these people that say, you're, you're not strong enough to live, who cares? You know, we, from our Christian perspective, look at it and say, well, how can anybody think that way? Well, that's the way the world thinks. And it's the way the world thought before Christianity influenced the world. And, you know, we are seeing a return back to the ways of the world. We need to be ready because things are changing. Things are changing, and even we're seeing it in the, Europe as things are starting to swing back against Christian morals. Things in America are swinging back against Christian morals. And once you start doing that, and we start teaching things like evolution, it's the survival of the fittest. Who's ever strongest gets to, gets to run it. And even though they didn't have evolution per se in those days, it was still whoever's strong enough to make his way is the ruler. You know, if you're stronger than that other person, then they deserve to be abused. And we need to be very careful because this process is starting to filter into everything. And it's going to mean that Christians are going to have to reach out and try to change our environment around us. Because people are coming against it and going back to the way of the world. The way of the, way of the world, the strong rule. And that is the way the world has gone. If you look back at history, that's always the way his, things have been. And if you look deep enough into their societies, it's the strong rule. It's just the way things were until Christianity brought in compassion and love and caring, which is what God wanted. Because even the Jews in their days were, were not that great at people. They were themselves. They protected themselves and, and cared for themselves. And if you weren't Jewish, then you weren't worth anything. Even though the rules from the very beginning was that there was one law of the land and you were to take care of one another. And this is the way the world is and we're starting to see that same mentality creeping back into our world. In the places where Christianity has reigned and we're seeing that whole press against caring for one another. And we need to be very careful because we as Christians can't get caught up in that. We've got to keep loving people even when it's going to be hard to do. You know, Jesus loved everybody so much that he went to the cross. And oftentimes, the Christians would go into these places, they would go into plague, plague towns that are being abandoned by the Romans, you know, get everybody out except for the sick, and the Christians were going in. And many, there were many centurions that wrote the, to, this, to, to Caesar, well, the city has been abandoned except for this group of crazy, crazy people that are followers of the way that keep going into the city to care for the sick. You know, they didn't understand it. It was not what you did. The city was sick, you let it die. If anybody was strong enough to live, then, then they got to keep whatever was in the city that they wanted to keep because they were strong. The rest deserved to die. And yet Christians would go in and minister to these people and minister Christ to them and minister love and, get, and help them. And this is what's been going on over the years. You've got a George Mueller who looks around him and sees all these kids being abandoned in the cities of, of uh, England and says, We've got to start an orphanage to take care of these kids. And he builds an orphanage and ministers to thousands of kids. 
It wasn't so long ago that these things were still happening. You know, Mueller was from the 1850s, and orphanages were not a big topic at that time. They weren't the, the key. Again, they were just children. Who cared about the children? If the parents didn't care about them, who else should be caring about them? George Mueller did. God did. And yet we see all this changing that's coming about in our world. The, the destruction of the families, the destruction of love and caring for one another. And Jesus said, these are all just the beginnings. <laughs> and, I've, and I've oftentimes gone, okay, God, how much worse does it have to get? And especially I think about this now as I've got a grandson. How much worse are things going to get before the end? How much is my grandson going to have to endure? And possibly a great-grandchild. I don't know. You know, how far will God let this go? Because he says all of this is just the beginning. And we look around and we say, okay, God, it's getting bad. How bad is it going to get? He says, as the days of Noah, and that's when God got fed up enough to destroy everything. We don't really know how bad that was other than he said everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And we're getting closer and closer to that, but there's still things that keep people restrained. Verse 9 says, Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and, shall, and you shall be hated by, of all nations for my sake. And then shall many be offended, and they shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise to deceive you. So here we're talking about, you know, they will deliver you up to be persecuted. And some of that happened in uh, the days of the apostles where they would be delivered up. Some of that even happened during Hitler's day when you know, we see that. And all through history, there's been times when people have delivered up their family members, their Christian family members, to save themselves. For us in America, we have not been afflicted by this uh, uh, up until now. In other places, it still happens. Muslim world, it happens all the time that people will turn in their Christian neighbors and Christian, Christian family members to be tortured to be killed. It's hard to even think of. All of this has been happening yeah. in pockets all over the place. When the Christianity first started, it was being pressed against. During the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church was pressing against, against uh, Christianity. During the Protestant movement, each Protestant movement fought against the Catholics and each other and turned each other in. Uh, during Hitler's reign, people were turning each other in for it. But there is going to be a time and a place where it is going to be so common, and he says it's going to happen. This will occur before the rapture. Probably before the rapture, because he hasn't even got to where he talks about the rapture. Things are going to get bad again for Christians. They've been bad, they've been, and still are bad in most of the world. If you go to the right sources, they're telling us that more people are dying every year in the 21st century than have died and all of what we consider martyrdom's times combined. Millions of people are dying every year for being a Christian. When I was watching that show on the roots, they were talking about before Hitler came along that the Russians were killing off large amounts of Jews. Jews have always been a hated people, and it's mostly satanically induced because Satan wants to destroy the Jewish people. Before Christ, he tried to destroy them on several occasions to try to prevent Jesus from being born. Because if he could destroy the Jews, the entire Jewish nation, 
then Jesus could not have been born because he had to be a son of David, a son of uh, David and, and uh, Abraham. So he tried hard to get rid of them. Since then, the goal is to destroy the Jews because they play an intricate role in the end times. So if he can manage to somehow wipe them out, then he proves that God is a liar and, and can't be trusted. That's his goal. Prove that God is a liar and cannot be trusted because he's predicted that there will be 144,000 Jews, there will be Jews in Jerusalem, the temple's going to be rebuilt. So if he can manage to annihilate them, he can make all these prophecies not come true. And if all the true prophecies can't come true, then God is a liar and not in control. So his whole goal is to motivate these people that are basically antichrists to destroy the Jews. And he will never be successful because God is going to keep it, but he's trying hard. And before it was to try to get rid of the Jews so that Jesus would never be born, the Savior would not even be born. And now the part, second half is so that the prophecies cannot be fulfilled. I just read recently in John Hagee's book uh, that uh, a lot of our uh, historical figures like Augustine, Christendom, and uh, even Luther uh, had themes against the Jews. Even those who are teaching the Bible, and we have a big movement even in this day and age with a lot of denominations that don't teach you know, that the Jews are God's people. There's been a, there's a school of thought that talks about, it's called replacement theology, that when the Jews rejected Jesus, that Jesus put the church in the place of the Jews. That is not biblical. It is not correct. Now, God has kind of taken and said, okay, the Jews are on the back burner at the moment, and the church is what's going on. The bride of Christ is what's going on. Then the rapture happens, and God is fully invested back into the Jewish people again. But they are still a group of people he cares for and loves and has made promises to. And they will not ever be destroyed. And they will not lose their promises. And everything that goes to the Jews does not belong to the church. And we've got to be careful about that mentality. There's a lot of times when people read, well, God promised the Jews this, so it belongs to the church. No, not necessarily. Hopefully Bible-loving characters knew uh, their Bible at all. There's so many references there. Uh, as to the Jews and how they're not dead and their, uh, their place in the future. But the biggest problem on that, is a lot of what we talked about last night, is that we shouldn't have any racial prejudices or national prejudice because we're all one people. And yet, people like Luther came from a nation that was much against the Jews, and he also came from the Catholics, which are very much against the Jews as a, as a group. And so it was bred into him as a young child that the Jews were bad, and he carried it into his theology from the Bible. And this is one of the things I've said. We've got to be very careful when we're studying the Bible that we don't let our own viewpoints color what we're reading in the Bible. That's what I'm trying to get at. All these people must have been terribly objective and everything, but like everyone, they've got at least one hang-up somewhere that doesn't... Uh... And even, even for us as Christians, uh, Baptists have a coloring usually of the scriptures, and the Pentecostal people have a coloring of the way they read the scriptures, and the Lutheran, the Presbyterian, and the Methodist, and all of these groups have a way they look at the scriptures, and we need to be very careful to back up and say, what does it say? And be willing to say, okay, that may make me unpopular even within my own denomination, but I'm going to go with what the Bible says.
always. And this is what I try to do. And, you know, and I've dealt with this as a teenager after having been at Baptist churches and Pentecostal churches and, then, and hearing contradictory verse uh, definitions of what, a ver what the same verse meant. And I mean contradictory <laughs> definitions of what they meant. And I'm going, God, I need to know. I need to know what these mean and help me to learn what they mean without having it colored. <laughs> be one good prayer for all of us every day. And there's still a lot of that sediment going on. And anti-Semitism is gaining a footing again in, in our country, in Europe, big time in Europe. Never really dissipated in other places. And the Middle East has never, <laughs> never been happy with the Jews. Uh, but it is starting to kick back in, which is again, a sign of the end times. It's the beginning of the trials and the beginning of the troubles. And we as a people, as Christians, need to really start understanding, are the Jews a perfect people? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, most Jews in, in Israel right now are, are at best agnostic and some of them are even downright atheists. And which is kind of interesting when they'll tell you that God, that's God's land that they gave them and yet they'll be, you know, for all practical purposes, they're atheists and don't believe in a God, but they will accept that God gave them the land. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting world that, they, that they're in and the, way, and the way they're thinking. But that is, again, exactly what Jesus said. He goes, they won't even recognize it until he gets in there and the scripture says that his friends will, ask, he will say, where did you get these scars? And I, he says, I get, got them in the house of my friends and they'll realize that it was them. You know, they don't recognize it. They don't recognize God. And for many, even in the Bible, most of the time they didn't recognize God. You know, overall, as their God, they, they kind of, there was a God out there, but they were worshiping idols and all these other things and, and forgetting what God had done for them. And this is something we have to be very careful of. God made an absolute promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed by his seed and that his seed would number as the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea, and that those who blessed him would be blessed, and those that curse him will be cursed. And you know what? As bad as, as the Jews are, even to this day, God is still, when you bless them, you are blessed. If you curse them, something bad's going to happen. And we can, we can watch it even in our own history where we've done things against Israel and watched things happen in this country, and people have documented these over and over again. We've had financial issues when, we, when we've abandoned is, Israel. We've had natural disasters when we've done things to abandon Israel. And we're one of their staunch supporters, and yet we've had problems when we haven't supported them completely. God cares for his people, the Jews primarily, but also for Christians. He cares for, his Christ, for us, but he has a promise made to Abraham that he's going to keep. He has a promise to David that an heir of his would sit on the throne of Israel forever. Jesus is going to reign from Jerusalem. After the tribulation, he will reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then when the new heaven and earth are created, Jerusalem comes down and he reigns from Jerusalem for eternity. He makes it sound like it was like part of the Trinity or something. <laughs> And all through the scripture, pretty much you see that. The Old Testament especially will almost always mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the patriarchs of the family. They, they were the ones that God specifically gave the promise to and repeated the promise to each one of them. They, they, all three of them were given the same promise of Abraham to them personally. 
It's, it's not a problem to put them all three together. They were all given the same problem, promise that you're going to have a great nation, that you're going to, that all those that bless you will, you know, it's the Abrahamic covenant was given to Isaac and Jacob. Uh, so all three of them are considered the patriarchs of Israel. Uh, so to name them all at the same time, I mean, if, if you go through the Old Testament, you, you'll either say Abraham by himself, or you'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They always use Jacob, too, instead of Israel, which is what he was, his name was changed. The greatest thing about that is it's God's grace that keeps Israel and the Jews because God made a promise. He made a promise all the way back to, to Abraham that your people are going to be there. No matter how bad they are, we see it all through the Kings and Chronicles. But, you know, it's also the picture that God is gracious to us. When we don't deserve it, he's still gracious to us. Yeah. And he's patient. Yeah. It gives us hope. Just look at what Israel's done. And he's still, I mean, they're still his people. Still his people. And when he's done with the church and he's raptured the church out, he goes right back to Israel and says, you're my people. You've always been my people. And he's going to reveal himself to, to his people. Uh, there's just this little lull in history from 30, from 70 A.D. till whenever the rapture happens where God's dealing with the church, the bride of Christ. And then he's going to go back and deal with his people. And all of a sudden, that's where Revelation takes us back to. Every, everything is all about the Jews in Revelation. Most of the Old Testament talks about the end days, the, the tribulation, the trials of Jacob. That's what the Old Testament name is for the, uh, for the tribulation period, the trials of Jacob. When, when Satan will come out, wholeheartedly against Israel to try to destroy them. And we see in the Revelation that the whole world is going to come against them. And they won't have, once the church is taken out, they won't have an ally. Uh, initially, the Antichrist will appear as their ally. He will help them build their temple. He will give them peace. And then when the temple's built, he'll stand up in the temple and say, I'm God, worship me. And at that point, the Jews will realize that they've been tricked. And then they will run and hide, as we're going to get into, which we won't get into this week from this chapter. We talk, talk about them running and hiding. How long do you think it would take to, to rebuild some form of acceptable temple? Depends on what they decide to build. I mean, if they build another tabernacle, they could have it up in a day or two. If they build a prefabricated temple, they could have it. God commanded a tabernacle. Solomon built a temple, Herod built a temple, and it was all bricks and, and mortar. What were we reading in Leviticus? Back in Exodus and Leviticus, they built a tent, and that's where they worshipped. So actually, it could be a bunch of badger skins around that. That technically could be all, all that is, is all they need, because that is what God told them to build. Yeah, he was very specific about it. Yeah, the colors and the size and all of that. And we spent at least a year on that in, in our study of the book of Exodus. We, we spent a, probably a year on, on the tabernacle. So yes, there's, what will they build? It says temple, but it could be a tent. It could be a prefabricated building. It could be, I mean, how long would it take to really throw a bunch of bricks together, you know, that are manufactured bricks? Uh, when God is working with you and on your side, Things can be very successful, even if it's not a perfect business and a perfect environment. God will bless His people. We see that all of this stuff is going to happen. It says, "And many shall be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall 
hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And this is something that right now there are lots of false prophets. You know, whether Christian or non-Christian, there's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of false teachers. Even in Christian circles, there's lots of false teachers that are giving you this gospel of prosperity and, and that's not a biblical gospel, a feel-good teaching. And a lot of churches that have abandoned the word of God completely. A lot of denominations that have completely abandoned the word of God. And then this last verse, and because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And this is something that we need to be very careful of as Christians because some of the some of the things we deal with and people we have to deal with, it's sometimes very hard to love people when there's just so much evil. You know, to know when to help somebody and when not to help somebody and not to get cold-hearted because you've seen so many bad, bad people, you know, that you've tried to help and they've abused you and, and not used it. And this is something that can be very interesting is because of iniquity, the disobedience against God we even as Christians can get very cold-hearted to people. And I have that same tendency. I see all these people begging on the streets and I know most of them are not in need and it makes me cold-hearted to all of them and, and makes it hard to listen to God and say, who should I help and who shouldn't I help? You know, when, when I worked in the Benevolence Committee, it was very hard sometimes because you heard the same stories so many times you know, that, that were just a bunch of stories and a bunch of baloney and it's like, who do you help? Who don't you help? But you know, this statement is probably one that we need to be the most careful with of this whole section that we've looked at. Because of iniquity, the love of many will wax cold. And that can be the sin in our own life that can wax, our love wax cold. It can be the being around sin so much that we get cold-hearted toward those in need. And you know, we look at this because over and over through the scriptures, it talks about how we're to minister to the widows and to the orphans and to, the, to those that are in true need. And the Bible is full of ways to help them. And usually it meant that they had to get up and work. <laughs> but Jesus was so much looking at us and saying, don't get cold-hearted in your love. And it becomes so easy to get cold-hearted, especially if there's nothing coming back. And that's how God feels toward us so many times. There's nothing coming back, and yet he loves and continues to love. And we need to use his example as our goal. God, help us to know to love and help people, not to enable them to, to continue bad behaviors, but to love them and help them and be able to reach out, which is the restraining process of the church as a whole in the world. Uh, how bad would this world be, how bad would America be if the church wasn't pushing against the downward spiral this country's going into? And we're going in a pretty fast spiral downward, but how much worse would it be if the church wasn't giving a message against all the sin that's going on? You know, think how bad homosexuality would be prevalent in this country if it wasn't for the church speaking out against it and holding back against it. How bad would we be? How much violence would there be without the church? There's, there is a restraining part of the church, and there, there is that side of it. If this church was to be gone, how much impact that we've had on everybody in here's life be 
when it was gone. But you know, I also think about how much more we could be doing possibly. We want to be praying about that. How do we as a church impact our neighborhoods and our communities? Because it's important. Because the gospel goes out and not everybody's going to come through these doors. <laughs> and we are the church going out and we have to be able to minister and touch people's lives. And I mean, I've seen lives in this church changed dramatically in the, in the five years I've been here. We could say, well, if they really cared, they'd come. Well, that's probably a true statement, but we also have to give them some reason to, to want to come. We need to be very careful because, the, you know, as the saying goes, that you are the only gospel, the only Jesus most people will see. And we've got to take Jesus outside our, into our lives, our daily lives, and, and show them Jesus. Show them God's love. Show them God's caring. And be able to lift people up and, and show them Jesus. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your, your telling us about the end times, Lord. And we just pray that you will give us the peace that no matter what we have to go through, that you'll give us the grace to go through it and the peace that you're in, still in charge. And Lord, that from all of these, you say it's only the beginning and how much longer will it be? And we just thank you. Help us to be able to share you with others. And we just thank you for that as well. Then give us the power and the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.